Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I am your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Michael Snydell. Hello. We also have Bill Graham. Woo! And a special guest with us today to talk about The Mask of Zorro, it's DJ Mecca. What is up? I am... Cutting a Z in the air, you can't see me, but know that I'm doing it in enthusia and enthusiastically excited to be here. I have been doing that legitimately all day since I watched this last night. Just like bust into the distillery this morning, look my partner dead in the eyes, and's like, you know what's a movie that holds up? Fucking Zora. <laughs> He's like that shitty one, the sequel. You're like, no. Well, it's funny Did as people do- will be like the one with Antonio Banderas and Catherine Zeta Jones, and you just say yes because no one remembers that the Mark of Zorro or whatever came out. Uh, the Legend of Zorro. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, that's what I meant. Uh, see, exactly. I can't even name what the movie. Is. You could also argue he made three when you think about Puss in Boots. He kind of made three Zorro movies. Let's sure. not. Argue this is that. very true. Is and very by true. the way, if you're about to besmirch Puss in Boots, you're crazy. Puss in Boots is a great movie, and I, I would, I would. I would urge people to seek out Puss in Boots. It's definitely one of the better DreamWorks movies, animated movies. Okay. Well, that's a weird plug for Puss in Boots that we just <laughs> Not got. weird. It's, it's so talking about Zorro. He's doing Zorro as Puss in Boots. Come on. Yeah, I would say it's more depressing. Oh, no. than... watch the movie. It's great. Stop. So, so we're here talking about a 1998 film uh, for a couple reasons. One is that we've joked about doing a classic episode about The Mask of Zorro for a while now. Now, the movie is 22 years old. I think that that is old enough to uh, make it considered classic. But, you know, we've also done stuff like uh, Unstoppable. So our definition of what makes a classic is changeable and has nothing to do with temporal reality, but only the quality of the film's. Um, and it's also should be said that one of the writers of the mask of Zorro also wrote deja vu. <laughs> so we got our Tony Scott connection <laughs> and we will mark my goddamn words with a Z be talking about deja vu at some point, because Let now me- that a uh, COVID-19 is happening around the, uh, the globe and theaters are closing and movies I are getting moved. I hate this. <sighs> Sorry, Was Mike. COVID-19. I didn't, when you say COVID-19, it makes it sound like COVID-2019. Like it's Oh, like, so are you thinking of like, uh, what is, what is, what was the guy's name? Coney. 2012. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, blame the World Health Organization for well, coming co- up with the shittiest is, name for a disease ever. That is, yeah, I mean, that is what the 19 is in reference to, right? This is the year, 2019. appeared in 2019, yeah. I think, yeah. Or it's yeah. like the 19th variation. No, 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 that is, no, that's what it is. COVID, the COVID is like, in, it's like a, it's like the the virus. What do you call it right. when it's in letters? It's C O Corona, and then right. V is virus, and then ID or something. I don't know. Right, it's, right. No, no, no. But it's they like couldn't a, call it something like 
I don't know, even the whooping cough or yellow fever or something, wow. scarlet fever. Well, you don't want to call something yellow fever. Yeah. <laughs> but yellow fever had nothing to do with, you know what? You're right. Whatever. Racially charged. <laughs> you can't name it after a place. Pick a color that's not, you know, discerned in some way towards well, okay, some kind okay, of hold ethnicity. On, hold on. Just pick hold something on. like. Here we, here we go, guys. Here we go. So uh, it's actually called SARS COV2. Is that what you want to call this? Because <laughs> that sounds way worse. SARS-CoV-2? Yeah. Yeah, so again. So SARS basically means, SARS is not like a, it's it's a, uh, what's it, acronym. Yeah, so it means acronym. severe, accurate, acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2. So it's a form of SARS. Yes, it is. Uh, but we're not calling it SARS for whatever reason. And we also couldn't give it a baller ass name. Yeah, this is so this has been I've called it many just call it shelter in place virus. (laughs) Everyone's an introvert now. Yes, this is this is by far the stupidest thing that has bugged me about this. But what it is one of the things that's bugged me about it. It, This is like a weird apocalyptic event that we're going through. And it's weirdly slow and very boring. And it's it's good that it's not like, you know, contagion where there are bodies being left on the streets. But it is just like. It feels weird that something so banal and and precise sounding is the thing that's getting us all screwed up like this. I just wish it had a scary name. That's all I want. Or even not a scary name, just a catchy <laughs> one. But anyway, uh, okay. Michael, thank you for sidetracking us <laughs> because you can't stand to hear the phrase COVID-19. No, it's just like a, a tour or something. Like it's like, let's, let's go back to, to 1890 California where, where <laughs> surely there is no disease and everybody is healthy and everybody is fine. Right. Well, that's another thing. Like, yeah. the, like, Nothing like, timely about kids in cages. <laughs> love in the time of cholera. Like think about that. Like cholera is a non, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Controversial name for a ailment, right? So like love in the time of cholera, you're like, oh, that's so evocative. But like, what are our movies and literature going to be called? Like, lovers and COVID-19 it's just gross it's just stupid it sounds like an Apple iOS release <laughs> it's so fucking dumb <laughs> um, oh, dude you gotta get COVID-19 you gotta get that new COVID-19 update dude you thought Yosemite <laughs> yeah. was good. <laughs> Can I quickly say, uh, speaking of Tony Scott, just to veer us off the COVID topic for a moment, um, me and Connor O'Donnell for the B-Side podcast are going to be talking about Domino in the coming weeks because we're doing Kira Knightley B-Sides that with our buddy one. Joel Arnold. And uh, Bill, we got to schedule your Sir Ronan sometime in April to record that. Are you a... Uh... Are you at some point going to – well, during the Keir Knightley one, are you going to be talking about Nutcracker in the Four Realms? Well, we talked about Nutcracker in the Four Realms when we did our holiday episode. Thanks for listening, uh, Brian. Um, and uh, <laughs> Just kidding. And, I've been uh, real busy. <laughs> but no, we talked, about, uh, we talked about Nutcracker in the Four Realms when we did that episode because I watched it on a lark and I literally <laughs> texted Connor and I was like, dude – we have to do a holiday episode, if for no other reason than to talk about the Nutcracker and the Four Realms, which is a movie that has to be seen to be believed. Which so, would you say great... is the best realm? Oh, man. Um, the Helen Mirren. Well, no. Um, <laughs> I So the best part of the movie 
is not in any of the specific realms. There is a scene in the middle where Misty Copeland, who you might know, she's like an amazing dancer yeah. uh, in real yeah. life. There's a scene in the middle of the movie where she, Misty Copeland is in the movie and she does this amazing dance. And it's like speaks to that whole movie where you're watching, you're like, this is great. But it's they cut her, they cut, oh, they yeah. cut too much during the dance. So it's that thing where you're like, this is amazing, but they're cutting too much. And it's, it just speaks to the whole problem where you're like, this is amazing piece of art happening. And it feels like it's chopped to hell. And you know what I mean? There's a lot. The so Curie performance is insane in it, though. I like, I loved it in a way, but it's <laughs> truly bonkers that's the craziest part of the movie is her we'll get to it but one of the best things about watching the mask of zorro was watching an action movie where like a, sh- a shot will linger for 20 seconds right. it's just real cool um yeah. was wasn't i like just explain michael you derailed us so hard uh no, congratulations no, you're really no, as no. much your fault as it is michael i feel like michael like reacted and you were just like i'm gonna take this ball and i'm gonna run it down the football i just thing. michael if, if we can't football. call it covid19 without you scoffing what would you like us to call it no just continue move on with our lives please. okay Ryan, we gotta so, talk about your your gofundme for the freaking your we, your, we will your i'll fold that in that's all the front matter this is great dj mecca every time you're on here we just <laughs> i'm just excited about schmidt spirits baby are you related Make- to robin is that what's happening <laughs> Making hand sanitizer. Um, yes. So so COVID-19 is happening. Michael, shut up. And <laughs> movies are getting pushed. Theaters are closing. It's hard to get out and do stuff. So we decided, screw it. We're just going to talk about a bunch of older movies that we either like or that our uh, people who support this show ask us to or that the fans send to us on Twitter. So people have been really great about throwing all kinds of movie titles at us. Um, but we decided for the first one. We were going to do Mask of Zorro because it's a great movie and we loved it. And it was apparently very formative in many of our sexualities. <laughs> and uh, it's a fun movie that's on Netflix. And we were like, screw it. We're going to talk about this. This will be a good jumping off point. Also, on the subject of COVID-19 and the coronavirus and all that stuff. I don't know if you guys know this, but hand sanitizer, super hard to come by nowadays. Luckily... I happen to have co-founded with my friend a distillery, a distillery that had at its disposal quite a bit of 99.5% pure ethyl alcohol. And uh, the TTB, that's the uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, Tax, and Trade Bureau, I think is what that stands for, has declared to us, hey guys, you don't have to worry about paying taxes on certain of your alcohols anymore, especially if you're making them into hand sanitizer because you are some of the only people in the country who are equipped to handle a highly combustible liquid and turn it into a life-saving hand sanitizer. So my buddy Arthur and I are hard at work presently turning ethyl alcohol into hand sanitizer. It is a arduous process, especially because uh, we are small we don't have a lot of equipment, and we are doing everything by hand. <laughs> how do you know how to make hand sanitizer? So that's a great question, because a lot of people are like, oh, can you just pour vodka on something? The, oh, no. the World Health Organization, uh, the WHO, uh, has a, a recipe that is their recommended guidance for how to create a sanitizing rub. 
And so we found that and we are using it in order to make hand sanitizer. So luckily, also because we're a distillery, we can distill our own water so we don't have to go out and buy it. We got glycerin. We got hydrogen peroxide. We got our ethyl alcohol. We were making it happen. Brian, do you have glycerin? Do you have glycerin? You know how hard it is for me to not (laughs) sing that every time? (laughs) (laughs) Glycerin. I got that fucking guitar in my head. So hard. Um, But so here's the thing. Same chords that smells like teen spirit. (laughs) (laughs) We are... We are making hand sanitizer. We are bottling it in four ounce plastic bottles with atomizers on them. And uh, we're doing it all by hand. It's a lot of work. Uh, We have already been contacted by local utilities such as Baltimore Gas and Electric and Washington Gas and others to purchase from us because that is how little there is. Even government funded utilities and stuff can't get it. Um, And uh, we decided that we didn't want to just sell it to people who need it but we also wanted to try to give away some in our community the only problem is we don't have that much money and uh we do still need to buy materials and uh cover the cost of overhead and everything so we have begun to go fund me to help us to produce two thousand four ounce bottles of hand sanitizer that we can give out in the college park area which is where i live i don't know if i've ever actually said that straight up on the podcast before but congratulations stalkers but also, please don't stalk me right now. Stay in your house. Social distancing. Um, <laughs> come at me once this is all blown over. I will give you a beer. Um, yeah, so 2,000 bottles. Uh, the cost of that runs about uh, $10,000. So how are we going to do that? We started to go fund me. We were reaching out to local businesses to try to help fund. We already have had a number of donations, including someone on this podcast. Hello. Bill Graham. Throwing some cash at us. Bravo, bravo. Just Indeed. making me look bad, Bill, huh? Yeah, none of you other look, assholes. Look, when when you are still able to work, you give towards good things. So that's, that's what I fear. And or that is feel. a... <laughs> which which was fear. which also uh is an update. Uh I've been ordered to shelter in place, so I am no longer working right now. <laughs> So I um, actually was talking to my city councilman today because I reached out to my local government to be like, this is what we're doing. If the city needs to buy some, we've got it. But also, like, if you can put out the word that we're doing this fundraiser, that'd be great, too. And I told him, I was like, look, man, I can work. I've already been working from home. This isn't really affecting me, quote unquote, that much. And uh, we've got this distillery and we're going to be able to do this. So we're doing it. So, like, you know. I'm I'm lucky. I could just be complacent, but now I, we're trying really hard to make this work. So it took us like five days from getting the word that we could make sanitizer to today. We bottled almost 400 bottles. Um, so I'm real tired. <laughs> and uh, tomorrow I get to go back and do it even more. Um, so yeah, if you would like to give to the GoFundMe. Uh, we'll put a link in uh, the show notes. You can also go to GoFundMe.com and look for uh, Schmidt Spirits making hand sanitizer. Follow us on social media. The link will be out there. I'll be tweeting it. Uh, go to Schmidt Spirits on Instagram at Schmidt Spirits, S-H-M-I-D-T Spirits. And you can find a link there too. Go to SchmidtSpirits.com. There's a link there. There's links goddamn everywhere um so if you have the ability if you have a little spare cash what it breaks down to is basically five dollars per bottle 
So if you can give $5, you can make sure that someone in need is able to get hand sanitizer, which, given the dire straits that we're in, could be very helpful to them. Uh, Especially because, apparently, uh, a case was confirmed on campus at the University of Maryland, which is two miles from where I live. Mm. In the city of College Park. So, yeah, that's what I've been up to. Thank you for indulging me. Again, check out social media and everything for the GoFundMe link. Reach out to me personally. I would love to hear from you. Uh, I'm trying to thank everyone on the GoFundMe platform as it comes in. Um, But it is very hard to think of personalized things to say for each person. So that is one thing. Uh, Other than that, the usual stuff. (laughs) Follow us on Twitter at Film Stage Show. Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Um... If you want to give us money, but not, you know, for hand sanitizer, you can go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to sign up to become a patron. Uh, For as little as $1 an episode, you get access to our Slack channel. Given that many people are sheltering in place, that we are being asked to be socially distant from one another. um, It's a great time to join so that you can be part of a community of misfits who are deeply interested in film. Uh, Recently, just this week, we created a special Slack watch channel where everyone uh, gets the chance to choose a film that is on Prime or Netflix, and then everyone watches it by a certain date, and then the channel becomes a free-for-all talking about it. So, we're making it work. Again, patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow. And, of course, we're brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. Speaking of sheltering in place, what better way to spend your time at home than watching the best foreign independent cinema on your TV? Smart TV, your phone... If that's what you're doing, I won't call you a monster anymore because maybe that's just where you're at. Um, we've got a bunch of great stuff on there right now. Again, they had they had their Apocalypse Now series going on. I don't know if they timed it because they heard that COVID-19 was happening or if it's just a super unfortunate coincidence. But Mick Jackson's uh, UK 1964 film Threads is on there. A young couple in the British working class city of Sheffield are preparing for their wedding while global tensions are rising. As their big day approaches, global nuclear warfare erupts, leaving millions dead. This shocking docudrama depicts the unraveling of society following mass devastation. I'm not trying to say people shouldn't watch that, but I will say I did see a tweet today that was like, if you are susceptible to devastatingly depressing movies... Maybe don't watch thread in the next co- threads in the next couple days. Well, that's what there you are. Heard. But there are 29 other movies on movies. There are because every day they add a new film. You get 30 days to watch and then it leaves. So you got a constantly rotating selection. Sure. And again, you can get a free 30 day trial of movie by going to MUBI.com slash film stage. Again, that is MUBI.com slash film stage. And I think that's everything. Right, guys? I guess I could give a shout out. I was on the B side. <laughs> I got to talk about Jet Li. We talked about Kiss of the Dragon. Hey, Brian. You What's gonna up? hang on, hang on, Brian. Yeah, cut here for a second. I'm a cabinet broke in my house. I'm trying to fix it. Just keep going. I'll I'll, I'll come in in a minute. How did the cabinet break? I don't know. <laughs> just keep going. I'm not cutting. I'm leaving that in because that's just. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, uh, I want to give a shout out to DJ Mecca, who hosts the B-Side podcast, the sister podcast of this here uh, movie review podcast, 
On the B side, they check out the lesser known, less successful films of major stars. I was on for the episode about Jet Li. We talked about many of his movies. Uh, the best of the bunch, I think, in my opinion, was Kiss of the Dragon, uh, which was freaking great. Um, a movie that apparently I remember every beat of that trailer, because as I watched the film, I was like, I remember this from the trailer. I remember this from the trailer. Here's a little quiz. Do you remember a movie trailer in which Jet Li kicks a billiard ball out of yes. the pocket and then in midair sends it into the face of another man? Yes. That is Kiss of the Dragon. All right, I'm back, and I remember it, too, and that was a great episode, <laughs> and cabinet or no cabinet, it went really well, and Brian was great on the episode, as per usual, and he's totally right. Kiss the Dragon is the best one we talked about, and um trying to think. We talked about a lot of movies, though, and War is pretty crazy. I don't know there what There was I'll one called good. Fist of um, Legend, uh, which one of our listeners mentioned on Twitter. We didn't really talk too much about, but... Yeah, Joe Lee, one thing we realized is he made a lot of good movies. Yeah. What Danny about the, the One? Did you talk about Delroy Lindo in The One? <laughs> we did not talk about The One. We Well, we did talk about it. How yeah, it's but like, it wasn't it was, one of our like featured issues. It wasn't one of the B-sides because I think that doesn't really count. It's like it was a little bit too big. But um, we talked about that was one of those like after the Matrix, Matrix movies, you know, like sure. all those kind of weird they look so old now, those effects from the early aughts, you know? Every time yeah. one of his alternate reality personalities dies, he gets his strength. It's great. I love it. I think that was the follow-up, actually, after Final Destination from uh, James Wong. Interesting. Yeah, I think James Wong directed that, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, but yeah, so that, check that out. It's in its own feed now. So again, remember to look for that. That's the B-side. But we're here today to talk about a single film, a great film, a film that I imagine this entire podcast will just be us talking about how amazing it is, and then excitedly saying what our favorite part is, and then going like, right? Exactly great. right. Glad everyone's exactly right. <laughs> glad everyone is excited <laughs> as I am. And that film is The Mask of Zorro, the 1998 film directed by Martin Campbell, who directed Casino Royale, uh, amongst many films that are not as good as either this or that. I'm sure we will talk about his career. It stars Anthony Hopkins, Antonio Banderas, and Catherine Zeta-Jones. And guys, I have to warn you, this trailer is awesome. And you're going to see why. So excited. say he's a legend. Zoro was a servant of the people. He did what was needed. Now he's needed again. Others, a ghost. Be careful, senorita. There are dangerous men about. Some say he fights for justice. There are some who would call him a rogue. Others, for revenge. All that playing with swords, shooting guns, racing around on horses. Such sweaty pursuits are hardly the work of a gentleman. No one has seen his face. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. I had God, with the voiceover. I miss the voiceover so much in movie trailers. It is a comfort, like this movie as a whole. It's a comfort to, to yeah. hear that voiceover. You, you watch this movie and you're like, this is a movie of its time, of its wonderful, great time. And then you hear that trailer and you're like, 
some say he's a legend. And you're just like, yes, I love everything about this movie down to the marketing. It is, again, The Mask of Zorro, directed by Martin Campbell, starring Antonio Banderas, Anthony Hopkins, Kyle Zeta-Jones. The movie is about an aged Zorro handing off his mask to a young man so that they both can gain vengeance for personal slights, but also work towards the liberation of the people of California. This is a classic episode, I guess, even though it's just a normal episode, sort of. But I'm just going to say we're not going to observe a spoiler section. I, you can assume that early on there won't be many spoilers as we just give our basic thoughts. Uh, but we will not be giving you a formal warning. So if you haven't seen The Mask of Zorro, it's presently on Netflix. Amend that. Go fix yourself. Go watch this movie. Let's talk about what we thought of it. Dan Mecca. Your first impression, nutshell review of The Mask of Zorro. And uh, I guess we should also, as we each talk about this, this is definitely not the first time you've seen this movie, right? No. Th- I, yeah, no. The Mask of Zorro, I must have seen at multiple sleepovers, you know, when I was, whatever, 12 years old. You know, it was one of those movies. I feel like Armageddon was another one, you know, those types of movies. Yeah. Um, Air Force One, if you will. Um Showa, obviously, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, Mask of Zorro is is a great movie. It's it's easy, it's breezy. It's kind of one of those things when you watch it or rewatch it. In this case, nowadays, um, it seems too good to be true in the sense of kind of kind of not unlike the Phantom. I feel a similar way about the Simon Winter movie with Billy Zane, right? It's like. It's taking this old serial character and still at, it's still a period piece, but it has kind of modern action set pieces. And the 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 tone is a beautiful mix of like modern and kind of traditional in a way that, you know, where you get like the Catherine Zeta-Jones character is doing a little bit more than she would have done had the movie come out in the 50s or what have you, right? And stuff like that. And and it's nice. And that's kind of all I would just say to start. I mean, it's like a perfect Antonio Banderas vehicle. You know, this is kind of after Desperado. This is his, like, second big, you know, thing in America as a movie, as, like, a big leading man. And then uh, and there's amazing sword fighting, and it's really cool. And it's a great movie. And it's, like, the perfect quarantine movie. This is, like, the perfect movie to watch right now. Oh yeah, this is this is great quarantine movie. Um, let's see if everyone else agrees. Bill Graham, your thoughts on the Mask of Zorro? And again, was this your first time watching it? Yeah, no, uh, I've definitely seen this movie quite a few times. Um, yeah, no, uh, in in this house, we we bow to the presence of uh, Antonio Banderas. Uh, he was. Uh, like my mom's favorite actor for a long time. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I saw a lot of Antonio films Um, was not hard to convince her to go see him in a theater. Um, So yeah, saw this, saw 13th warrior, saw assassin, saw or assassins. I think it's assassins. Um, 13th warrior is a movie that exists. I will say yeah. that. No, <laughs> I like that movie. I, I, I just told my fiance to look it up and see if it was playing anywhere, like streaming anywhere. She was like, it's 33% on Rotten Tomatoes, Bill. One of I, was the, like, I was like, one, listen here. <laughs> one of the biggest, I think one of the biggest bombs in the history of 
American mm-hmm. movie making, right? I think with the budget to the gross, mm-hmm. it it's like Mars Needs Moms is up there too, but it's like it's Thirteenth Warrior is like right up there. Yeah, I I think it's pretty high. Uh, definitely did not uh, have the the hit that a lot of people were hoping it did. Um, certainly it did not make him a star. Um, but you know it, it's it's a movie. And I can still find it to this day. So there's something to be said for that. Anyways, um, no, I I absolutely adore this film. Um, long overdue as far as a purchase. Um, yeah, it, it, it's also in 4K. So that's another reason. Like it didn't just like hit Netflix. It hit all the streaming services uh, and it's been remastered in 4K, so it looks beautiful. It sounds great. Uh, the score is great. The music is great. The action sound effects are great. It's even got some surround sound going on. Um, yeah, this this movie's delightful. Um, I will say maybe this movie is a tad bit too long. There are some sword fight sequences that seem to last for about 10 minutes. And okay, I was like, Bill is canceled. <laughs> <laughs> I will not. I, uh, I will not tolerate this blasphemy on this podcast. Let me let me speak my truth. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I I wasn't expecting uh, ten minute sword fights, but uh, the ones that are short and sweet, there there's there's a lot of. Um, I'm not sure if this was the start of it. I think uh, wasn't the Three Musketeers shortly around this time period as well. Um, where they started to do a lot more acrobatic, like sword fighting. I mean, some of that kind of like goes way, way back. You're, Bill, you're thinking of the Musketeer in 2001, the Peter. There Hines you movie. go. Oh, there that's you a good go. movie. Actually, I'm not yeah. going to say that out loud. Well, no, that's a movie. It's not a necessarily good movie, but it's uh, if you yeah, saw you're that right. Movie he, at the right time. Around. That's that's a movie that you remember, and you're like, that's oh, Justin yeah, Chambers, dude. That's the dude. He's in Grey's Anatomy. He's like. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I love it. I love it. I love I love the uh, the plethora of knowledge in here. Uh, it's great. Uh, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I do enjoy the acrobatics quite a bit. And uh, it's it's fun to see Anthony Hopkins just really, really living it up in this film. Um, man, he he does some great work here. Um, it did not realize that he would be like an action. Uh, I, I hesitate to call him an action star, but like an action co-star, maybe, maybe icon. that's, that's a, I, uh, <laughs> let's, let's not say icon either. I, I don't know what he is, but he's doing a lot in this film and I enjoy every moment of it. All right. Michael Snydell. Yeah, I, I yeah, I really enjoy this film. Um, this is something that was really formative to me. Actually, this this twofer of uh, GoldenEye and this was um, really formative for, for me, and for reasons I'll get into a little bit later. <laughs> but what what I'll say uh, right off the bat is that this is just um, I might be with Bill that I think some of the setup here is a little convoluted. I, I have some questions for you guys about the geography <laughs> i i got a little bit confused about okay who's coming from cal or sorry who's coming from spain who's coming from mexico uh or when are we in california there was some of that stuff that i thought was a little convoluted but i will say that so many of these vehicles have just the stupidest fucking plots 
And Stuart Wilson's plot in this is actually really compelling and uh, and really interesting, <laughs> not in the sense that I'm with it, but I was surprised how involving I, I found it. Like, it- it's not that goofy, but it still has, you know, the pulpy aspects that you wanted. Um, I... I was telling actually Brian before we started, I have no idea that Zorro was such an old, um, an old like character. Like it goes back to the early 1900s and actually a a prime and Tubi has some of the older versions, um, you know, with Douglas Fairbanks and silent films and in, and apparently an R rated Italian like almost uh, spaghetti western with starring Elaine Delon from okay. like the seventies, and it's rated R. So I really want to see that sometime. But um, yeah, it's I, I think what is happening here is I think everything is just electric here in terms of chemistry. You have Banderas, um, you know, as Dan already said, like this is coming right after his first couple English. Or sorry, yeah, it's first couple English films. You know, he had a supporting role in Philadelphia, and um, you know, he'd been in a couple Amadovars where he had received some acclaim, um, you know, from critics and things like that. But this is really something where he immediately establishes his star power, like you know, as not only this very capable action hero you know zorro does the most unnecessary flips of any action hero i've seen there's so many times when he could just like easily jump off but everything is a flip and i'm i he's got a whole part of his training course that's like a ropes course where it's like this is how you flip and spin so get on that i yeah no i just i just think that that not only is this super entertaining the it's charismatic it it um it's fascinating that it feels like a precursor to pirates because actually one of the writers is the main writer on pirates. Um, so it it is very much uh, Campbell just has a, a fantastic cast that he's assembled here. But the last thing I'll say about the action sequences is I was really impressed with these action sequences. Like they are extremely involved set pieces like not just the last one but even one that is kind of in a barracks like there's uh there's some horseback uh gymnastics that are really entertaining like i was just really surprised that none of this movie feels like slack and um yes everyone is way too attractive in, in this movie (laughs) um and it was distracting (laughs) um my my girlfriend emily it was like okay does Catherine? you don't want to you don't want to practice social distancing with this crew (laughs) i want to get right up on them my uh my girlfriend emily was like does Catherine zeta jones have something in her contract that she needs to be lit so her eyes are constantly sparkly (laughs) it is kind of amazing that's such classic filmmaking like every oh, time you sure. get yeah like every time you get like a close-up on a woman's face it's like all right now we're gonna we're gonna put the net over the camera we're gonna light her just so she is gonna look like she well, is, that is lit from within by a holy fire well you guys you guys know right back in the day they'd put vaseline on the lens right yeah. because yeah i mean i think campbell i mean yeah i think you're right michael i think campbell's 
and his DP is probably they're probably doing something like that. Not obviously not Vaseline, but like she's meant to. I bet she had a special light on her. Yeah, <laughs> no matter where she was, every single time she was on the, the Zeta, the Zeta light. <laughs> I would bet you. I would bet you. Like I, you know, I would bet you they knew they wanted it to look like mm-hmm. you know those old movies. Like if yeah. you watch her Fairbanks movies, you know, like you're talking about Errol like, Flynn. Yeah. Well, I mean, even oh my God. even yeah, the yeah, end. to Haviland in the Adventures of Robin Hood. That's yeah. pretty much we we need to spend forty minutes where I just compare <laughs> the Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland and this movie. And how much they both just influenced the way that I think of, like, the relationships that I should have with everyone in my life and what (laughs) true love is. But I I think, like, that final sequence that we see, and I think even it's it's in that... uh, prologue right prologue is in the before uh yeah, sure. prologue in the before. um yeah <laughs> uh you see like the background of the uh like the i don't, I don't even the mansion i guess I, I don't know what the hell to call the that hacienda. thing yeah the hacienda you see the background it is definitely like a painted background right oh, yeah like, there's some matte paintings sure. in this movie oh yeah one of the great pleasures of this movie which i also loved i'll just jump in on that um so we can just get that out of the way is the classic filmmaking techniques like what mike was saying like Catherine zeta jones and the lighting and just the matte paintings the like the back projection just and like the just stuntmen falling uh-huh. 20 uh-huh. feet in in falling scaffolding and stuff and just seeing a person fly over a cliff and sure. be like that man leapt over that cliff <laughs> and was flung into the air on a cascade of water. Like this is just well, great. There's even there's, just there's so even much like tactility here that you yes. don't feel anymore, and it just makes you happy. Well, I think well, I think yeah. it's like a type of uh, Dan. I'm sorry. I just wanted no, to say no, this. no. Go ahead. Yeah. That the last thing I just want to say about that classical filmmaking is, you know, you see this heightened. Uh, you, you know, you see directors who do this heightened stuff that you know calls back. You know, you know, even something like. Edgar Wright, who's a more explicit stylist and things like that. But what I'd say about this is there's nothing arch about it. Like it's, yeah. it's extremely sincere and there's a pageantry to it. And it's like, but there's even, it's not only Brian, like the, the almost like practical stunts, but it's also like, I, I realized how much I had forgotten how much I love the PG 13 cutaways, <laughs> like the, the fact that so many, uh, like, yes, there's stuntman doing a crazy things, but there are so many people who are just like, Oh, that guy's just dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, it, but you know, it's cut. So it just cuts away. And there's something so, uh, there's something so, um, there's some, there's such something so escapist, but also so pure about that that I really like without it actually feeling tame. And and it is again that classic filmmaking, but it never again feels like, oh, he definitely didn't punch that guy. <laughs> like <laughs> like there's a good sense of oomph to it that's not only in the filmmaking, but just the the, the sense of when things collide. <laughs> it's well. Dan Mecca, you were going to say something. Well, no, no, I was going to just basically say, I mean, yeah, to 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 the point we're making, right? Obviously, when you watch this movie, you think about the at least the first three, uh, especially the first three parts of the Caribbean movies. Sure. And I would urge people listening to this if they like the Mask of Zorro. I mean, and you have Disney Plus, right? 
those first three are on Disney Plus, and me and my wife were kind of like skipping through them, you know, just watching different parts. And yeah, those are real stunts. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The stuff, you know, when they're fighting, I think in the second one, the wheel on the yeah, wheels, like <laughs> they did that. Like they went to Hawaii and for a month, you know, filmed that, right? Like, and it's Verbinski is a crazy person. And yeah, I love and like it. that. <laughs> right? no, and, and look, I mean, and and it's not, you know, no offense to the filmmakers in the fourth and the fifth movie, I suppose, but it shows in the fourth and fifth Pirates, it's not the same, right? Like it's just not the same. And sure. and and um, have there really been five this movie is a good movies? kind of it takes you there, Six. you know. It takes, no, no, there's only there's five, right? Five. The last one from the Contiki director was yeah. that. On Stranger Tides, isn't that's that? That's five. Thing? All right. Sorry, I think Dan. That's I think, yeah, I don't know. But anyway, whatever. <laughs> However many. The point is the first three, sure. the, the Rubinsky trilogy, are those are movies like Zorro. The further you get, the more you appreciate because you like you're saying, Mike, you're like, oh, yeah, like they did these things. How great is that? Right. You know what I mean? I mean, that stuff is so special. (laughs) You know, it's so I mean, look, that's why the Mission Impossible movies are going to be hits forever because the guys fucking die, you know, falling off of a whatever. But the fact that he's doing it, you're like, it's unbelievable. You know what I mean? They're still waiting that. And yeah. so, yeah, I, as a, as a fan of classic, I mean, it's okay. My, my history with film is as such, I, my parents and my grandparents would tape movies, I guess that they liked and they would show them to me. So like one of the first movies that I like would call for by name was King Kong, the original 1932, I think King Kong. Sure. Um, and then there was also Robin Hood, the adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn, uh, with Olivia de Havilland as Maid Marian. I could quote that Great movie. film. Chapter and verse, but I would I would go into the woods and I would get a stick and just pretend to be Robin Hood. Robin Hood is still my boy. Um, I love that guy like that. I will always have affection for Robin Hood, even though I haven't seen like the last three Robin Hood movies that were produced just because of Errol Flynn's Robin Hood. Um, you need to see Robin and Marion, Brian. I still think you'd really like it. Oh, that's the one with uh, Sean Connery. Yes. Yes. Uh, I quick, quick, just that. quick correction. King Kong came out in 1933 but oh okay my bad you keep going buddy. you keep going so close um <laughs> but yeah so the so the mask of zorro was i guess i was like 11 when it came out yeah i was 11 when it came out and i just it was so freaking cool <laughs> to see a movie that was just like robin hood but modern and it had people that i recognized and then Again, just I love many things in movies. I love con jobs. This movie has some con jobs going on. Horseback riding with stunts, slapstick comedy, the horse as a comedic foil to the guy. I love the kind of cartoonishness of the fight scenes. I love a good one handed like a pay or, you know, narrow sword fight. I guess like a foil, you might say this movie just has it all. It's so cool. It's got the thing I love where like uh, one of my things about like Indiana Jones is I love the fact that he'll punch a guy once and that guy is just down. And in an old Western, you'd see a guy get shot and he'd grab his chest and then fall over just dead. And this movie has the same thing where you stab a guy in the stomach and he is instantly murdered. And there's just something about that that is so classic Hollywood that is so pure pulp, awesome, serial coolness. That I just can't get over. And then the fact that you just have these charismatic, beautiful people. Even the bad guy 
both of the bad guys, even even the Don and even and uh, Captain Love, are and just Kurt like son. <laughs> are just gorgeous to look at. The friggin' blonde locks on Captain Love, I will be <laughs> jealous of until the day that I die. Oh, God. And it's just and it like it's beautiful. These beautiful widescreen compositions with like the matte paintings and stuff, and just oh, it's just so good. It's just so pure. It's like a distillation of every bit of everything that I found wonderful as a child. And watching it today, what, 22 years after it was released, it's just still so impactful and so amazing and so fun. And I'm so glad that we get to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, and it just does smart things, too. Like, like, you know, just going, you know, just to kind of, I guess, set up kind of the plot, right? It's like... They start um, 20 years before Antonio Banderas will become Zorro, right? And it's mm-hmm. like Anthony Hopkins is Zorro, and he is this California rich guy who's pretending, who's, you know, secretly Zorro, Don uh, Diego de la Vega. And um, he it's like the Mexican War of Independence is happening, and he's fighting for the people against the soldiers, right? Fighting for the commoners. And the guy, uh, Don Rafael, figures out that you know, Vega is Zorro and this whole thing happens. And it's just great because that is like the first at least 30 minutes is you're seeing Hopkins and his stunt men fight, which is awesome, right? Mm -hmm. Like that alone is kind of unexpected. Even on a rewatch, I forgot how much Hopkins is like zipping around, which he loves her. And then um, it really sets the stakes nicely because, he, you know, I don't know where I guess we're going to spoil, but essentially – his daughter is taken from him and he's uh, imprisoned. And then you cut 20 years later and you get, that's when Banderas uh, is in the picture. And it's like, it's just a great kind of turning, you know, handing of the sword, if you will, which you don't really, that's like another thing. You don't really get that type of stuff anymore. I feel like where that's like classical storytelling. Right. Sure. And it's like, that is so special. And, you know, you, Mission and Impossible and Bourne both did it uh, really clumsily. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, I'll look, I'll defend Bourne Legacy until the day I die. But yeah, I mean, it's a a way more modern way to uh, to do it, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it speaks to kind of, yeah, what they're working with. But even in the sense of Hollywood studio filmmaking, right? Like, it's so fun to think about. You know, so basically, I think Banderas talked about this when he got nominated, when he was doing his Oscar campaigning for Pain and Glory. Mm -hmm. I believe, and you can fact check check me on this, when he went to the Oscars for Philadelphia, because he didn't get nominated, but the movie got obviously nominated um, in Hank's work. He was at an after party and he ran into Steven Spielberg and Spielberg was like, hey, we have the Zorro script. You would be perfect. Like, I think it was that simple. Right. And then, you know, four or five years later, they're filming, you know, they're filming the movie. And so he was recounting that to one of the late night people. And um, it's just so fun to think about that process where it's like Catherine Zeta-Jones, had, she was in The Phantom. She was going to be in Entrapment. I think that was the same year, 98. So she was like young and on the up and up, right, uh, you know, up and coming. And um, and then you like cast Anthony Hopkins in that role. That's such an old, like beautiful Hollywood move where it's like, all right. For those first 40 minutes, we need someone who can sell, you know, the sword fighting and can sell the nobleman aspect. And it's like, that's the perfect. Now, look, Mm -hmm. obviously there's problem. It's problematic in a sense because Anthony Hopkins is obviously not, you know, 
Spanish? I, you know, 100% Spanish. not in any Hispanic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but if that aside, which is obviously a big aside, just the star power of him in the role is so old fashioned and so perfect. You know what I mean? Like, well, I remember people finding out that Catherine Zeta Jones is Welsh. Because after this movie, sure. they were just like, that is the most gorgeous Spanish woman that I have ever seen. Apparently, Xena from Goldeneye was almost uh, was almost Captain Zeta Jones' character. Xenia? Xenia on a top? Oh, is it Xenia? All right. Xenia. Fomka Jansen. Let's put Fomka some respect in yeah. yeah, it's Fomka. Oh, that's Fomka. I'm sorry. Jean Grey. It's Jean Grey. Uh, you're right. You're right. And uh, mm-hmm. Judith, Grey, Gott- that's, that's I'm sure I'm sure that's what she wants written on her grave at some point. <laughs> Special Damn, guest in three episodes of Nip Tuck. <laughs> she, she was a good Jean Grey. She's a good. Yeah, she was. Famke Jansen and Catherine Zeta-Jones are, are two of the women who like when I was a child, I guess a child, you know, I was like 11, 12 or whatever. And I was just like, oh, my God, I cannot believe that women that beautiful exist. And then, like, you know, your depressed next thought is, and they will never love me. <laughs> like, you're just like, it's almost unfair that, like, I just. You were having those thoughts at that age, bro? Yeah. I, I, have, <laughs> I have had self-esteem problems for as long as I've been alive. Um, you, but, yeah. You, beco- was... you becoming somebody who distills alcohol. I mean, the, it was. <laughs> <laughs> such a clear path for you. It, it, it's such a, you know, it, it really ether Brian. Who would have thought that my <laughs> manic, depressive self-medication with alcohol would one day lead me to try to save the world with hand sanitizer? <laughs> I am truly the hero that it's we need. Not unlike, not unlike the mask of Zorro, Brian. It's a very American story. It's about using capitalism to your advantage you know look yeah. at you look at you now Brian. come on look at me go i think a catherine zeta jones is just around the corner but this is so like this is that's the thing though is like there there are moments in this movie that like i remember being like formative for me as i sat down in the theater and watched it because i went i'm pretty sure that the i feel like i saw this way more than once in theaters but the time i remember was going with my friend steven gacious and we're just sitting there because he and I, would we, we couldn't get together that often because he had lived here. And then he moved to Panama with his parents for a while who were in the, in the NSA. And then they moved back and we would go see movies and then like have a sleepover. And this was one of them. And it was freaking amazing. And we walked out. We were like, so we just got to find some sticks and beat the shit out of each other. Right. Like, <laughs> that's just what the rest of our day is looking like. And just being like, so the like, um, so that woman was really pretty right because you know you're like 11 and you're like oh the girls are gross uh, except for the fact that like i want to love and marry Catherine zeta jones in this movie apparently it's very weird but yeah and then just like everything just like there's so much of this movie that was just like we would quote lines to each other i believe michael douglas right if i'm not mistaken he said that he saw her in this movie and was like determined to meet her and then they ended up getting married so see so if only i had had the michael douglas did what you wanted to do i know michael douglas i will say it again has lived the life that i was supposed to have (laughs) (laughs) when have you previously said that i've never said that before okay all right (laughs) so so you heard, heard it here first Brian wants to be in a Marvel movie. 
I mean, yes, yes, like 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 Bill said, that's what Michael Douglas wants to get remembered for. <laughs> we're just Hank Pym and plugging people for Hank all the wrong things. Um, you dropped the name. I don't yeah, wanna, no, I don't want to be in a Marvel the name. movie. I love it. I just yeah. want to, in some way, work with Paul Rudd. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I want. Oh, yeah, uh, monkey pot. That is Adam. That's Adam. <laughs> Uh, what was I going to say? <sighs> I can't even remember. There was a line that I was going to quote that I know that my friend and I said to each other all the time, but now I cannot recall what it was. It has been forced out of my brain. Um, but yeah, this this uh, this movie, this movie is great. I love it. Um, now, Michael, you said you had questions about the plot. I I think that some of the geographic stuff in terms of... So I know that the movie starts in... Wait, it doesn't start in California. It starts in Mexico, correct? Or they start in California. So it's in the same place all the time, I'm pretty sure. But the thing is, during this time, you know, there's like the indigenous Mexican people and then the Spanish and the Spanish leave. And then the Americans are like, we're coming. And it was, you know, it was like how Texas had like six different flags over it because it's just had it was such a contested area. So. What I read, and I don't know if it applies to this, is that Azoro initially was like taking place in the Los Angeles area, but of course, okay. way before that was a thing. Sure. And his whole point was like he was an aristocratic nobleman who was trying to protect the peasants and the indigenous people from the cruelty yeah. of whatever uh, upper class, you know, people were there trying to exploit them. Pre- so this- apparently, pretended to be a coward as well was his big characteristic. <laughs> I used to watch the Zorro serials because, like, it would be on like TV Land, the Disney you know? one. Yeah, the, the color one. Yeah, no, the Disney one, the yeah, black and white. It was oh, the black and white one. Okay, yeah. um, because I remember like loving Zorro and then finding out they were making a Zorro movie, and I was like one of I don't know four kids in the country who was like Zorro. I love Zorro. <laughs> So what was what were your questions? That was it. Just the geographic no, 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 location. No, no, no. I thought I lost you all. <laughs> oh no, I was waiting um, for you to keep asking. Yeah, because no, so, no, no. like the whole plot of the movie is that they are in what is now present day California, but of course, like California, Texas, that all used to be Mexico. So this takes place sure. during the Mexican American War, and the plot is that they are in what is you know the territory of california and they're like what we're gonna do is we're gonna buy this place but we are close to the border with mexico and so we actually have found gold in mexico so it's like if we wanted to buy a chunk of canada and we did it by mining gold illegally in canada to purchase it from them i guess i'm i guess i'm more trying to get a sense of I just think that some of the beginning is a little bit confusing in terms of it uh, starting California. I know obviously then Montero and Elena returned to Spain. So mm-hmm. she believes she was born, born in Spain, in Spain yes. uh, which is that, you know, that whole sequence later where the um, n- not the, the chambermaid or housekeeper. I'm not sure how you want to. I think she's like uh, a she's like a nanny. Okay. Yes. Oh, that's right. She does actually use the word nanny. Um, so the nanny then, you, you know, says she recognizes her and everything. I, I guess it's just a little bit, I, I was a little bit confused and that's my lack of knowledge about the Mexican American war in trying to understand the factions of, for instance, how, 
uh, Don Diego, or sorry, geez, how uh, Montero, Rafael Montero and um, Tony Amendola, Don Luis's character, related to each other. Because it seemed like Tony Amendola was someone who was governing in California and was given land by Rafael Montero. Is that correct? It seems so, yes. As okay. best as I can figure. Now, here's the thing. I understand, you know, Bill, you, you are bound to know a lot about the Mexican-American War, right? Mm. Mm. No, I wouldn't say so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. I think, like, because like, in like, Texas, you got the War for Texas Independence. It's all wrapped up in that. Yeah, that, like, A, I, I, I'm known for what now, Brian? <laughs> oh, yeah, you have a terrible memory. <laughs> and that was how long ago i learned that in like uh middle school i'm pretty sure and uh i was a terrible student in middle school or just i was a terrible child in middle school so yeah i don't remember shit okay so great so we cannot <laughs> hope that bill remembers anything at all yeah sorry okay it's <laughs> <laughs> just where we're at now i guess <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> I was really hoping that we could lean on your ex- expertise in some small way. Well, no, but so the Mexican American War, though, is like so Santa Ana is the person everybody remembers, right? Because yes. he led, you know, it was the Texas Revolution and his annexation of Texas and all that. So, yeah, this movie does a good job of basically being like it starts 20 years before that and then. What they're basically kind of positing as the plot of this movie is this like corruption between Don Rafael, who is Mexican, but basically turning on his people for those sweet, sure. sweet U.S. dollars. <laughs> and Zorro becomes kind of a Santa Ana figure in a way, except he's more like a Robin Hood, you know, covert operative. And okay. um that's kind of, I mean, that's what they're doing. They're they're taking kind of the larger macro view, but it's still it's, but also to the point that we're making about the old fashioned style of this movie is not unlike the Adventures of Robin Hood and the character of Robin Hood in general, right? They are doing what I feel like so few adventure quote unquote action movies do even today, which is like mm-hmm. there is this kind of semi-real Americana looped in with the plot of the movie that I does think adds something. I mean, I do think it's kind of an interesting element, even if it's a little muddled, like you're saying, Michael, like it's mostly in the beginning too. It's confusing. Yeah. It's a little confusing, but I think ultimately even just kind of setting it where they set it. Sure. You know, and obviously look, the bar gets lower, right? I mean, this is kind of what we're talking about. Like 22 years later, <laughs> you look back and you're like, oh my God, Mask of Zorro, what a great movie. And it's like, you know, if you read the reviews in 98, it's like, hey, this movie's okay. You know what I mean? And then, sure. you well, know, it's like I went on just, to the, I went on to IMDb and I was like, how does this only have a 6.7? Cause IMDb is not a good <laughs> indicator of anything. <laughs> <laughs> but this just feels like one of those movies, you know, where like, the I hate to say it like this, but the idiots would go on there and be like, "Oh, great movie, <laughs> ten stars." <laughs> I love how I cover my ass by saying I don't yeah, want to say I, it, and then I say I it know. anyway. It's just, <laughs> but I, 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 
Dan, like for your point, like I, I do think, yeah, for for whatever whatever things I'm a little muddled on in the prologue and in terms of who represents who, as I was saying, I think the scheme here is very compelling, you know, even compared to golden, which I fucking love their scheme is really fucking stupid. <laughs> so like, Oh, like, you think getting control of a satellite that can shoot an EMP in order to end the London stock exchange or that's what that was like. Right. Yes. Well, that's honestly one of my, one of my crosses to bear as a movie watcher, I've seen every Bond movie probably at least twice. Same. And I could never recall to you the plot of any of them. Like if you said <laughs> to me, GoldenEye is my favorite Bond movie by a mile, probably because of the video game, like a lot of people our age. But yeah. if, you, if you said to me, any Fuck you, odd job. Right? Like literally like Tomorrow Never Dies, which by the way, Martin Campbell turned down to direct this yeah. movie because um, he directed GoldenEye, like Michael said. Um, so... Like, Tomorrow Never Dies, I just remember the villains, right? You're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, Tomorrow Never Dies, he was, like, the Rupert Murdoch villain. Okay, haha. And then it's like... He's really good in that, too. With the, uh, Jonathan Price. Jonathan yeah. Price. Those plots are so hard to... Like, From Russia With Love. Love that movie. But, like, I rewatched it recently, and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about all this. You know, like... <laughs> That happens with every Bond movie. This one's, yeah, you're right. Mask of Zorro is more simple. And I'll just say, we shouldn't, I guess, talk about it too much. But the reason The Legend of Zorro, right, which is the sequel, also directed sure. by Campbell, that came out in 05, doesn't work. Kurtzman really. and Orsi? Well, yeah. Oh, but, God. <laughs> yeah. But what, yeah. So what they do, what they do is they, they basically separate, for the majority of the film, Banderas and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Right. Oh, that's the stupidest possible it's, thing. It's very silly because obviously we're giving the Massacre Zora a lot of compliments, but we're not even talking about really yet is the white hot fucking chemistry, chemistry between these two. The explosive, I mean, teach, eye melting, life changing spark. Yeah. I said electricity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah. You could teach a class, literally, like a full semester class about casting for this type of chemistry. Like, it doesn't exist. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a once in a lifetime type of thing. Like, their whole thing, you know, the scene in the barn, which well, is basically sexual harassment, doesn't matter. You know what I mean? You're watching it and you're like, you're loving it anyway. Well, that, the, the, it's, you know, it's funny because you say something like that. And I think that a lot of times the reason that, like, you know, you look at something like this and you're like, oh, that's sexual harassment. That's like bad behavior is because you're just thinking about the action. But when you're watching her face during that scene, she is having the time of her goddamn life crossing swords with this dude and just like flirting up a storm and it's like she's not even trying to stop him like this is all just foreplay they both know they want it and it's just like the hottest thing on earth because totally, totally. that's what chemistry is and like sure. it's funny because i forgot almost how immediately she's like i am into this guy because yeah. he's like when he has the bad mask yeah <laughs> he's stealing horses with a rose embroidered mask on and he's like, you know, be careful. Man. Like he says, it was in the trail. Like there's very bad men out tonight. And she's like, you know, sure. you'll have to point him out if I see him. And I'm like, oh, damn. And then she immediately runs to the church. She's like, you know, forgive me, Father, for I said, I just saw a man so hot that I only saw him for 15 <laughs> seconds. And I have already sinned in my mind. And you're just like, in a lot of movies nowadays, you're like, oh, come on. Like, that's so stupid. Like, that's so fast. And in this movie, you're just like, oh, I get it, sister. That man I is hot she, as hell. 
I think too that it's you know to go back to Goldeneye again. Dan, I'm with you. I adore Goldeneye, but I think even even this has a different brand of that uh, of that. Like it's not even chauvinism feels like the wrong word for it. But I, I want to get across like it's not just the chemistry between them, but it's this charged energy. That that never feels forced, as you're saying, Brian, like even as we're jumping forward in that relationship, um, it's not only that you're not thinking about logic, but you're getting a sense that, you know, it's not one sided every every time that, you know, he gets in a double entendre, she's right right back there with him. And I I think that that needs to be discussed in general about uh, this movie because it's it is anything but sexless like it is it is so um and i'm I'm not sure whether this is just you know uh being able to look back but this film feels so fluid to me uh, in how mm. it finds every character attractive in and and not, and like let's not ignore the fact that they're just hardcore BDSM <laughs> undertones over Yeah, let's just take a step back and all remember the moment where Sir Anthony Hopkins is in leather pants and a white shirt and he is smoking a cigar and whipping the shit out of some candles. Yep. And you were just like, I don't know, just With the like dance. a thousand. And, and, and more than likely drinking some Chianti, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He he lounges and drinks <laughs> wine in this movie. And you're just like, I yeah. also I love I love in this movie something I missed dearly. The um, the training scene where it's yes. like he's not ready. He's not ready. He's ready. You know, it's like literally not enough time. It's like he's like he's has no skills, and then in the space of a montage, he becomes the greatest swordsman in the world. But that <laughs> circle is a really good joke. Like, it's a no, really it's good visual joke to, like, really get across, like, the sense of discipline. And I think that's the problem with training montages, is they end up feeling like an homage to other training montages. And this is like, yes, he's undisciplined, but I think it also helps to make it more dynamic that it's not only sword fighting, but the fact that he's like, you're not a gentleman. So I love that. Choose your that. weapon. And then he picks up a spoon. Yes. It's yeah. Like, he have that spoon. He just had it. He just had he it, tucked in it away. Cause he knew his bit. He was prepared. <laughs> he was prepared for the bit. But I think I think then that party scene is so interesting too. you know, it was such a throwaway line at the beginning, but I was caught by um, uh, Raphael saying you're a traitor to your own class. And I think there's uh, sorry, Raphael saying to Don Diego um, right at the beginning, you know, when he attacks him, you're a traitor to your own class. And I think there's a really interesting, you know, class through line here in terms of. Banderas is like social mobility, like the fact that he can go from being this, you know, rakish noble who's also just kind of a smarmy dickhead <laughs> to, you know, like the the flush of emotion when he's at the mine, mm-hmm. like like those are just really 
fleshed out moments, even if they're just like a few seconds. Like it's weird to bring up John Wick, but I, I can't help but think of the way of my favorite action movies are the movies that give you a sense that the person who's fighting their personality is in it. And I think that's in every second of the choreography here. You can feel his giddiness. You can feel his anger and you can feel all of those conflicting motivations together in such this, like, just such an engrossing, you know, seductive way. Well, what's what, what's even better, you know, just talking about personality and fight scenes. Sure. We talked about this during our Birds of Prey episode um, where it's like, hey, you've got all these really interesting characters and now they're just going to kick ass at the end. And we were, you know, I, I remember I was disappointed. I think our guest was a little disappointed that, like, there wasn't a little more personality um and in this movie like just watching the difference between the way that like uh antonio banderas's character um alejandro as zorro fights versus uh how captain love fights or even elena (laughs) yeah i mean like that the final fight between uh captain love and zorro i mean the entire movie is like you can't attack out of anger like you have to like put that away and just be the graceful friggin sword wielding crane that i have turned you into (laughs) and meanwhile you see captain love and he is hacking and slashing and seems furiously pissed that this guy is here and you're just like yeah i'm seeing the character dynamics played out during this fight scene because it's not cgi soup of just action figures pounding into Mm. each other like there's and we talk about that in relation to john wick in the the birds of prey episode where that's kind of lucky because everyone has like a distinct fighting style but you also have these expressive actors doing these physical performances and being able to put their character into those moments. And I think mm-hmm. that it's the same thing with the uh, the chemistry of the romance is that you don't just want someone who looks good. You need someone who's actually good at expressing themselves with their face mm-hmm. and actually having the actor do some of the stunts is helpful with that. Just saying. Well, uh- I, I think I think it also helps a that they're having a lot of fun as well. Like like sure. it, it's it's very obvious that everybody in this film is having fun because I mean even even the bad guy the the Don uh the titular or not the titular Don the the, the one that they're at the heart <laughs> of all this yeah Raphael like you would expect him to not stand toe to toe but there's this big fight sequence right in the middle with zoro where the dawn just gets into it and he's fucking like holding his own and you're like holy shit he's he's just been practicing waiting for zoro to come back right like oh yeah he came to the shore specifically trained to be able to fight back against Zoro. Well, that's like, why one of his first actions is to go to the hole that he threw Zoro into and be like, which one of you, Zoro? I'm not dealing with this. I am back. I will not have you try to ruin my plans. That Spartacus moment surprisingly works. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the other thing I wanted to mention was uh, y- y'all mentioned how how just vicious and angry captain love is and the thing that kept cracking me up was that even though he is hacking and slashing his back arm is still tucked away behind his back the entire time and so he's still got the proper form but he's just like angry and just like you know just just trying to give it in and give it everything he's got but yet 
he's got that arm tucked away behind him. And it's just like, dude, like go two hands, you know? <laughs> Is that actually, does anybody, I don't know anything about fencing. Um, I, I do know someone who's very good at fencing, but I've never asked. Is that something so your other arm can't be hit and y- you be like immobilized or anything? I think it's I think a it's, balance thing. It's balance, isn't it? Yeah. And I it think is it is to like, you know, okay. keep that out of the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, Either way though, I think Bill's totally right about that. Like it, that stance adds something very, very uptight <laughs> about his whole character. <laughs> I am. Um, there's just so much about this movie that like is almost, it, it's, it's almost like a crazy effective refutation of a lot of what cinema of action has turned into recently. I think, and I think one of the things that like, you know, I think, Michael, you you said it like you know a lot of things that we view as like gross. It's just because you don't feel like the characters like each other. Yeah, and it is really refreshing to see this movie and just have two characters who are so instantly and furiously attracted to each other because every single thing that they do becomes a delight after that point. Just thinking about like their dance together. Like the best part is that again, you know, there's like two different versions of him that gets to meet her. And so one of them, he's kind of got to be arrogant, but can't help but let some of the flirtation slip through. And then the other one is he's just like, I can just be real upfront about how friggin' much I want you right now and kiss you in the middle of a sword fight. Yeah, I love those two kisses too. Like the the first kiss they have is like this like exaggerated open mouth kiss. Like when she goes not bad, when... and then they cross swords, and he says not bad at all. <laughs> and then like the end, it's a much more like comfortable kiss, and like like even that stuff is like little touches that that feel like it's a fully formed you know you know story. Like I yeah, like I'm. I, I, I know I'm just kind of gushing here. I mean, but. that's yeah, this whole podcast is just I mean, like, here's the thing I have spent over the course of the last, I don't know, five days, uh, uh, like conservatively 14 hours a day working my ass off. And I took time to see this movie yesterday. And now I'm sitting here and I feel so jazzed. It's like I've slept for five days and then just did three rails of cocaine. Like, I just <laughs> have so much energy just being excited and effusive about my love of this movie. Catherine Zeta-Jones, a hell of a drug. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's that. But also, it's just nice to watch a movie that's, like, fun and funny. And what's interesting to me, what really struck me this time, is that you can chart his character development through the humor that he uses and his, like, quippiness. Because, like, one of the sure. one, one of the funny things is when he's pretending to be the priest in the confessional and she, she's, like... I broke the the fourth commandment. And he's like, you killed someone. <laughs> and she says, no, that's not the fourth commandment. He's like, right. Uh, how did you break the most sacred commandment? She's like, I dishonored my father. He's like, well, that's not that bad. <laughs> Maybe he deserved it. But then at the end, when he's having that fight with Captain Love and he's got that quippy line of like, you know, there's only like one question now. Like, how do you want to display your remains? And it's just like, yeah, man, like you, you turned around. You're actually like in control now. You're actually landing jokes because you mean to rather than just because you're funny and maybe slightly drunk and a bit of a rake. It's just, um, it's really good. It's good writing. Well, it's good uh, acting. I mean, 
there's there's that scene early on when you're trying to figure out whether uh antonio banderas's character can land like the charm right as Mm -hmm. as anthony hopkins puts it and when he pulls out that rose to give to Catherine zeta jones like you could just see the fireworks going off in that sequence but notice notably they don't like pull out and pan towards her quote-unquote father because he would probably just be sitting there going no you cannot fuck my daughter in front of me this is this is not acceptable sir like you cannot do this so yeah I, I found that hilarious that I was just like, I want to see his reaction right now. And they just don't show it. <laughs> but what's also, he... what's interesting is, you know how um, there's been like kind of a backlash to the concept of like fathers being protective of their daughters, which as the father of a daughter, I can say I will just be canceled at some point because I will be fiercely protective of my daughter. As but long there's... as you don't pull a TI, you're probably going to be. <laughs> I don't oh, get Jesus. the reference. And um, I'm yeah, kind don't, of don't, look it up. Yeah, don't, don't look it up. D- don't do it. Don't do it. Brian. I'm not going to right now, but I cannot promise that <laughs> no. I won't later. So but like the end of this movie is basically him like him like giving his blessing. And I don't know if it's just the capital R romanticism of the movie or if it's the time period or if it's just again, because all three of them are so goddamn hot. But you just are like really on board with that moment. Like it's it's a sweet moment. Like he's he's gotten uh, reunited with his daughter. She understands everything. She has helped to free the people from the cages that are about to be dynamited. There's that fucking fantastic moment when they walk through the smoke, mm-hmm. and they're yeah. both carrying children. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you know he's like, "I'm gonna die. It was great to see you again. Um, I'm gonna put your hands together. This is awesome. I am out." Just truly hmm. beautiful. Yep. Should we just talk about lovely Martin Campbell's post Mask of Zorro career for a moment here? I do. Yeah, I did want to sure. bring up that because so, it's, he's an interesting cat. He's this a, guy. Well, he's a great. He so look, I mean, we talk about this people like this on the B side a lot. Like he's one of these filmmakers. Um, he's a very workmanlike filmmaker, and that always it sounds like an insult, obviously, when you say it. But I don't think it is. I think. Would Martin you call Campbell, him a journeyman? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, like I said, I feel like those are those have negative con- connotations. But sure, I mean, sure. It's one of those things, you know, like he makes he really knows how to work within the system, you know, which is, say, the Hollywood studio system. So he makes this like sci fi action movie with Ray Liotta called No Escape in 94. Then he gets the Bond movie, Goldeneye. And he, you know, look, at that point, Goldeneye was on a sick or uh, Bond was on a six year hiatus essentially sure because license to kill underperformed and there was legal problems with the thunderball guy right you can uh that good bond documentary everything or i think it's everything or nothing i believe uh you can watch that it kind of goes through all all the troubles but so he basically you know is at the helm of re you know reigniting bond with pierce Mm -hmm. Brosnan in 95 Mm -hmm. Then he does Mask of Zorro, which is a surprise hit in 98. Vertical Limit in 2000. You guys remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that with Chris O'Donnell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I still have a soft spot for it. I remember seeing sure. it in theaters. It's not a great Same. movie, but it's, <laughs> yep. it's kind of got a Mask of Zorro thing. It's way more serious and stuff, but it's like it, it is. It also has bad actors, but it's it's yeah, entertaining. I mean, yeah, it's got one. Of the, yeah, it's, got it's Robin like, Tooney. 
got you got Tony. Tony's doing her Tony thing. You got you know O'Donnell's the leech, or you know I don't know. It's an interesting uh, relic of the year. And then Mendelssohn is in that movie. Yes. Oh, is he? Oh, wow. Yeah, I I found Um, this out. Yeah, he's he's hot in that movie. A movie. (laughs) He's hot in everything. A movie no one remembers, but was a very hot script for a long, long time. uh, Beyond Beyond Borders. Borders, which is like a Casablanca e. You know, crisis workers. Isn't that know, out of Africa? Fall in love. More than yeah, Casablanca. I mean, well, out of Africa is Casablanca. They're all Casablanca. Sure. That's fair. Come fair on. enough. Well, wow. <laughs> Angelina Jolie and Clive Owen. You want to talk about hot yeah. people? But that's you can read about like the casting. That was a hot script. Like the casting on that was like Kevin Costner and this person, and you know it was like one of those kind of you know. There's a million variations of it, and they finally made it, and nobody saw it. Legend of Zorro, which is a sequel we talked about, kind of doesn't really hit the same way. And then for the second time, he reignites Bond franchise with the Casino Royale. Like, how crazy is that? I remember Bond. that when that was announced that it's like, so there's a new Bond and we're bringing back the director of Goldeneye. And people were just like, what the shit? Well, I mean, like, it works, I guess. Yeah. Like, and it's gritty. <laughs> like, right. And it's imagine, so unlike the Goldeneye, but it works. Yeah. You imagine the broccolis being like, oh, man, we need another Hail Mary. Die another day really didn't work. And then they look around. They're like, should we call Martin again? What do you guys think? Yeah. He turned us down for Tomorrow Never Dies. Maybe he'll do this one that's totally stylistically different. And that's the that's, that's where you compliment a guy like Martin Campbell because obviously not everybody can do that. right? Not everybody can literally be like, all right, you want a totally different Bond? Let me do it. You know? But he still keeps it at a baseline. I think his – I think his um, – virtue is again that classical sense of like pacing and 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 uh casting i don't know like there's something about him that's very comfortable even in that weird kind of like bond does parkour now state sure but i mean also think about all the bond that you see in that film there's a lot of hand-to-hand combat there's a it's it's like a grittiness but also, he is showing his work, right? And, th- and that's what we were just complimenting him on in this film in particular is he lets the stunt, you know, coordinators and and the team actually do the work and then pull back, show the work, right? And so it's it's get clever that in that way. Yeah, yeah. Get, get that coverage and, and fucking quit chopping it up. Like, let, you know, let the stunt people do their shit and just well, show yeah. it. I would bet, and look, I don't know this, but I would bet you that Campbell is a really collaborative filmmaker, right? I mean, it seems mm-hmm. like when his movies work, there's an alignment creatively. And when his movies don't, like something like Beyond Borders probably got rewritten to the point that by the time they were rolling, they just wanted to get it done, right? You know, sure. like that's conjecture, but I feel like Legend of Zorro is the same thing. I feel like they made it because they had the formula and they they futzed with it in a way that was detrimental. And so you have this kind of weird amalgamation adventure movie. And then like even so past Casino Royale, Edge of Darkness was kind of the yeah, false. Yeah, that one's decent. That's okay. like a piece of potatoes procedural. Like. Yeah, it's it's an okay movie. It's It got a weird Mel performance that was supposed yeah. to be his comeback movie, but he was like really combative in all the public publicity interviews. If you guys remember. And like, it was like, I think he kind of sunk that movie. So yeah, but it's better than people remember. And then like green lantern, green lantern is not Martin Campbell's fault. You know what I mean? Like that's just a movie. That's (laughs) like, you know, I would bet you, you know, I would bet you that 
Warner Brothers, right? Whoever it is, like they were probably directing that movie more than Campbell was, right? Oh, almost uh-huh. certainly, yeah. And then, uh, you know, The Foreigner from two years ago is a good action movie with Jackie Chan and Pierce Brosnan. It's a pretty, pretty, pretty solid action movie. Um, and then the one he wants to make, we'll see if they ever make it, is Across the River and through and Into the Trees, which is based on this really kind of awesome, underrated Ernest Hemingway book. So, I don't know. He's had a really interesting career and he's like kind of speaks to, you know, if you can work with people in that capacity, you can get some gems. You know what I mean? I think he's yeah. pretty good job overall. He's apparently filming something called the asset. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. I, I read about that. That a is that with and her partners in crime that, accidentally pure- steal millions from a crime boss. Yeah, Michael Keaton, Maggie Q, Samuel Jackson from the. Uh, I was just sorry. I was just looking at Richard Wank. He, he he's done like the Equalizer and some of those kind of like, you know. Um, oh, he did the Mechanic, which is a movie yeah. that I will stand up for. I prefer the Mechanic Resurrection. Actually, I've never seen the Mechanic Resurrection. Maybe oh, is that the to... Tommy Lee Jones one? Yes, it, with yeah. the goatee. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> I just remember really liking Jason Statham and, and Ben Foster in that movie. But also, I'm an yeah. easy lay for Ben Foster. I'm just well, I will say this. Thing. Mechanic Resurrection is like a, they literally just do a totally different movie. It has nothing to do with the first mechanic. Mm. It's like they made a sequel and they were just like, what if he just became like James Bond? Well, that's you know the funny I mean? thing. Like the mechanic, the poster for the mechanic is a gun silhouette made of guns. And the poster for the mechanic resurrection is Jason Statham hanging off the underside of a glass bottom pool on the side of a very tall building. <laughs> yeah, that's a cool scene. Cool <clears throat> scene in the movie. I believe it. I believe it. Uh, is there anything else to talk about with this movie? Or do we just want to keep like talking about our favorite scenes and making sword noises at each other? <laughs> we never talked about uh, shovel um, surfing. But <laughs> the, thing, the thing I actually want to bring up real quick, I do find it interesting that... Uh, Actually, uh, Goldeneye and, uh, yeah, sorry, Goldeneye and Beyond Borders and Legend of Zorro and Casino Royale and Edge of Darkness uh, and The Mask of Zorro all have the same DP. So he does seem like someone, you know, who's open to a lot of different projects and stuff. But, you know, he, Dan, I, I think you're. I guess I just, I don't want to belabor your point, Dan, but I I guess this is what the B-side is all about in that sense. But reliability, you know, is such a a damning word (laughs) these days, but it, it's again, it's, it's its own virtue. Like the fact that he is able to work with so many of these different projects without feeling the need to, you know, uh, why? Yeah. I look, I I've said this before on, uh, some podcasts. I I have a fundamental problem with the auteur theory, in as much as it it automatically discounts yeah. people like Martin Campbell and William Wyler and you know like, Wyler's so good because oh it's God. one of these things where it's like look auteurs are great and like for every Scorsese and Douglas Sirk and Sofia Coppola and you know like people where it's like okay they make a movie in you know. You know, they have a style and it pervades all their work and blah, blah, blah. I think that's very cool and there's a lot to respect. But I think if you can be a chameleon and that's more your style and you're more of like a producer director in the sense that you can kind of bring a good team together and get the best out of everybody in a collaborative effort and like discover a film 
you know, in a teamwork capacity as opposed to like a Fincher type of a thing. But do right? you not think that that's still its own kind of auteurship? No, no, like, I, this is my point. That okay. I do think it is. That that's, that's what I'm saying. The auteur theory, right? The Andrew Saris whatever thing mm-hmm. automatically discounts uh, like the Martin Campbells of the world because there's this idea, sure. this very American idea of like – you know, oh, this is what it is to do this and to like really hone this style where it's like, OK, that's one way to do it. But you can also be somebody who's like think about George Miller. Like, my mm-hmm. God, that dude has, you know, Lorenzo's Oil, ba- the Babe movies, Happy Feet, the Mad Max movies. Feet, yeah. Come on. Sure. Like, like, well, that's what I like. You could never tell me that Jonathan Demi and George Miller are less accomplished than you know, then, then Scorsese and whatever. Right. Because well, it's I just think a different that's way just a problem of, of basic film Twitter snobbery. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy to me that like, you know, we, we talk about someone like Martin or yeah, Martin Campbell. And we're just like, we feel like we have to defend him. Cause like anyone who was truly honest about like the concept of the authorship of the director would, would mention them in the same breath as them because they sure. do imprint them in some way. I remember, when I found out that the adventures of Robin hood and Casablanca were directed by, uh, Michael Curtis. And I was like, this makes all the sense yeah. in the world. Curtis, to me. Curtis is the original. Didn't get enough respect guy. Damn fucking right. This that guy dude, freaking rules. Angels, dude. Angels with dirty faces is yeah. a fucking masterpiece. And it's nothing like Casablanca. And it's nothing like adventures uh, of Robin hood. That dude, was churning them out. They're handing them scripts, and he was like, "Let me make the best version of this I can." You know what I mean? And it was like he was crushing genres left and right. Right. I mean, just, and just to you put never them... see him named in the list of great directors. You know what I'm oh, saying? It's so frustrating. I constantly bring up Curtis when like I'm talking to people, and I'm like, "You want to know a great director is Michael fucking Curtis?" Because people will talk about, "Oh, Casablanca is one of the best movies ever made. It's so perfect." And you know, like, oh, The Adventures of Robin is such a great serial. It's the same freaking guy. And, like, they very different things. Though you can tell he has a love, and this movie kind of has it too, of that witty turn of phrase. And that focus on the glint in the eye of a scoundrel who gets to say a good line. Like, when when uh, when the, the Nazis ask Rick, you know, what nationality are you? And he says, I'm a drunkard. And then um, when when Robin Hood is asked or when Robin Hood says something about like how much the royalty sucks and someone's like, you speak treason. And he turns to them and says fluently, just like that's that is an authorial stamp. The way that the director is like, we're not going to throw this away. Like this is a moment and we're going to like let you see the sparkle of joy in this person's eyes when they get to put a thumb in the eye of authority. Another another director like that, uh, more modern is um, Penny Marshall. Right. Like she did big. She did a league of their own a league of their own. Those three movies yeah. could not be more different. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like whatever. The point is just I think the cool thing with a guy like Campbell is, yeah, like, is he an Oscar winner? No, you know, whatever. But the point is, like, he's offering something totally different and impressive. Right. That I just feel like gets underserved sometimes and that's just cool it's cool to talk about them because a movie like the mask of zorro to 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 what we're talking about sure you know 20 years later you're like and verbinski actually is kind of like that i think he gets more respect probably deservedly because he's kind of a master masterful guy but like um you look back and you're like my god like what a fun impressive movie you know what i mean it's like very special you know, I, 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 
I, I will agree that there is a certain level of snobbery that comes from some parties, but I think, you know, there, there have been people, you know, who have been pushing back on that for a lot of time. Like, totally, and, you know, totally. even critics like Holberman and, you know, things like how they tried to define, you know, schlock and trash and, you know, when something had value and something didn't, but like, you know, even it's very interesting to me, um, you know, and especially as I get older, like the democratization of film criticism and, and things like letterbox and stuff is it's fascinating to see people coming up with their own canonizations. And even if I don't always agree or, you know, whatever, like, I, I think it's so cool to see people, you, you know, creating their own reasons for why things are things are great, which is not that's not the same as, oh, everyone can say everything's great. But rather <laughs> that, like, I think that there is a slot to talk about, like, you know, these mid, uh, you know, mid-budget blockbuster or right. not mid-budget blockbusters mid-budget films and blockbusters and this you know this dichotomy and without making that completely a hierarchy is i guess what i'd say we right. talked, no so you're, I, to, you're totally right about that you're we totally talked right a little that. bit about this when we talked about unstoppable and then um, yeah tony scott for sure tony is, scott like, is one of those guys who got no fucking respect yeah, totally re, totally reappraisal it right. started yeah. as vulgar autism and now it's just and like, then you just realize like just oh no he's a brilliant brilliant man <laughs> Well, think about this, right? Like my favorite, well, be, before go you ahead, go, ahead, like go my favorite ahead. turnaround of all time is when I was like, we need to talk about Unstoppable. And you, you guys were like, that's a pretty good movie. Yeah, I guess we could talk about that. Like there won't, I don't think there'll be a lot, but like maybe we could talk about it. And we get on, it's just like fucking Tony Scott, man. Holy shit. His <laughs> love of the working man, his hatred of the upper class, his detail oriented, sure. his style is kinetic, but not over like exhaustive. And it was just like. Yes. Okay. Good. I am glad that we all agree on this now. I would urge people to revisit his movie Revenge with Kevin Costner from 1990. It's a really good movie um, from way back when. Um, uh, What I was going to say is, so think about this. My two two movies in my top ten favorite movies of all time are Wonder Boys and L.A. Confidential. Okay? Very different movies. Yes, yes, Both directed by Curtis Hansen. Yep. Right, R.I.P. Oh, that's right. Do you know Wonder Boys. Like, yeah, Curtis okay. Hansen, who directed an amazing, creepy, uh, early '90s thrillers called Bad Influence with uh, Rob Lowe and James Spader. Right, like mm. uh, the hand that rocks the cradle. Right, like this guy was making Eight Mile for God's sakes. You know, sure. like he was the weirdest motherfucker in the world. Like that dude made. He touched every single genre in twenty years. You know what I mean? So, yeah. it's just cool. It's cool to, and you're right. You're right, Michael. Like. It's cool to in this world of letterbox, right? Which is a great resource. Like, it's cool to ha- to rediscover those people and have people be like, "Oh yeah, Penny Marshall did make these movies. Oh yeah, Curtis Hansen did this. Oh yeah, like whatever." Like, it's very, uh, it's very illuminating. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Curtis Hansen fucking rules. That's we should do either Wonder Boys or LA Confidential during this. Uh, this period. I don't know if I can watch LA Confidential again. Like well, yeah. I, honestly, LA Confidential is the movie that made me want to make movies. Oh, is it Kevin no. Spacey? Yeah, I I honestly I, I saw him something in 
something recently. This is just me. I'm not getting on anybody's case. I'm just saying. Oh, I don't dude, know Spacey personally. will never. Spacey will never get me not to freaking rewatch the company. I so. do think that, like, you know, no matter I mean, what someone it, does, it, you I might be like, oh, it. I can't help it's, it. I got. It's see just this me. Thing. It's just me, guys. No, I'm no, not, I get it. I get it. Well, it's fine. We can do Wonder Boys because Robert Downey Jr.'s never done anything wrong. <laughs> or Michael Douglas. No, oh, yeah, shit. they're great. Uh, Rip Torn was, was never arrested yeah. for drunkenly trying to rob a bank. So <laughs> Wait, that's cool. What's wrong with that? <laughs> that's cool as well. <laughs> hmm? It's also got uh, Agent Gad from The Americans and um, yeah. Francis McDermott. Uh, who was, who's the other one in that? Katie? McGuire, Katie Holmes. Yeah, Katie Holmes. That right. movie is just Katie. filled with greatness. Um, maybe we should do one boys. Sean Pittsburgh. Right. I gotta, I gotta bribe some fans into saying Wonder Boys so that we can uh, talk about Wonder Boys. <laughs> I will say too, we got some very diverse, uh, cool ideas from from fans. So seriously, thank you, and keep sending them if if you want stuff. Because you know, I wasn't gonna say this goes forever, but this could go forever. <laughs> yeah, who who knows how long the disease that shall not be named because Michael doesn't like it. Christ. And not even the disease. He loves the disease. He just hates the name. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Guys, just donate to Brian's Schmidt Spirits thing. Just do it. Yes, donate yeah, to my GoFundMe so we can give out hand sanitizer to our community. You never you never would have thought that like the concept of hand sanitizer would suddenly become like a world saving endeavor that yeah. people would go on. It's really Here weird. We I'm used to it being like that obnoxious thing that a girl would do. Like pull it out of her thing and be like, oh, every time I go to a restaurant, you know, I just have to. But now it's like, no, it's fucking necessary, especially because my friend works. Uh, his his day job is at a hospital and he is currently overseeing the building of a quarantine wing on an entire floor. And he's like, so the hospital is running low on hand sanitizer. I was like, that's not what you want to run low on hand sanitizer. Jeez. Yeah. His mother runs a clinic in California, also low on sanitizing solution. Um, so, yeah, that's one of the reasons why he was like, we got to turn this around fast. And yep. we're doing it. Uh, after I hang up, I'm actually going to spend uh, an hour editing this. And while it's compiling and everything, I will be hand applying labels to every fucking bottle that we've made so far. You're a hero. You're a hero, sir. Yes. Good work. Good work. Good times. Yeah. Um, oh, so, and yeah. I'll quickly say as we're wrapping up. Look for for the B side and but not just the B side for the film stage. We've been doing these cinephile games um, for charity for uh, different charitable funds uh, throughout this crisis. Uh, we've been streaming the gameplay so you can watch on Facebook Live. So just look for my Twitter, DJ Mecca, MECCA. Uh, film stage will be tweeting them out as well in the coming days and weeks. We're going to probably do two a week. Um, so you can join in. You can maybe be a part of the game or watch the game. We can, def- uh, if any of you guys, Brian, uh, Michael, or Bill want to get on, uh, we can do that. Cinephile sure. is yeah, an awesome love that. card game. Yeah, that'd and, be great. Uh, Let me know yeah, what's we happening. Just, and we we mentioned uh, you know different. We, I think the first one we were uh, talking about the movie theater workers fund in New York. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then you know we might keep doing that one. We might do other ones as we keep going. We want to get people watching, people donating, and um, and we're gonna have uh, for the B side. We talked to Brian Koppelman, who's a who's a great writer director. Uh, you probably know from Film Twitter and. Um, mm-hmm. We had an awesome conversation with him, so that might be available if you're listening, or just about to be available. So look out for that too. Nice. Cool. 
There's so much, you know, like someone, someone the other day was, I think it was on Twitter and I wish I had saved the tweet, but it was like, you know, apocalyptic literature is like, uh, the virus came and suddenly roving bands of people were like, you know, stealing and killing and raping. And then they were like, and meanwhile, reality is come watch me live stream drawing this like cute cartoon for charity. Yes, but also I want more of Jennifer Ale reading Pride and Prejudice to me. <laughs> okay, I'm sure you can get that. Maybe no, it's it's available. I'm not being a creep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So it is. It's been really nice to see the way that people have come together during this uh, insane, insane time in our lives. Totally. Yeah. Um, I got new carpets while it was happening. This is a dumb story, but I'll say it anyway. So I, I like two weeks ago was like, I'm getting new carpets in my house and I signed up for it and everything. And the day before they were going to be installed this last Thursday, I was like, I don't even know if it's happening anymore. Like, are they, are these people really going to come to my house and install carpets? And they did. And I was kind of like, I wonder like why they didn't cancel. And then it occurred to me that like people probably are not signing up to have strangers come into their house to install carpets and i don't know how much these guys are going to be making from now on and i don't know what their situation is with their employer like i don't know that's just one of those industries that i feel like is probably going to get hit so i like ran out to 7-eleven to like hit up an atm to get them like extra cash to tip them really Mm -hmm. hard and i was just like you know weird in a time of crisis that you're like i can do this one small thing and it you do it it's important it's important yeah it's like what you were saying bill like if you have the ability like throwing a little extra money a little extra kindness is a big deal um yeah yeah single small businesses are gonna fucking hurt yes it's it's gonna be nasty so if you have the ability out there ladies and gentlemen uh after you've watched the mask of zorro figure out what you can do to help people in your (laughs) community Uh, i'm sure that you can go on next door uh there was a woman in my neighborhood whose family has organized a kind of like support system so that should stuff get real for certain families here that they will have people they can turn to who can do like the grocery shopping for them and uh, stuff like that so i i signed up to be a part of that and of course there's the hand sanitizer thing so go on next door go on facebook try to figure out what you can do in your community to help out uh and if you are lazy you can always just give money to the gofundme for the schmidt spirits hand sanitizer efforts is that uh, patreon then brian one last time or is that GoFundMe? that is gofundme okay yes uh patreon we, we we're looking it up because it's like we could do a kickstarter and it's like eh, i don't think that's what kickstarter is for and then patreon yeah, is like yeah. if you're an artist or something like us podcasting the arts um, and then we decided, you know, not Indiegogo. GoFundMe allows us to use all the money that was donated to us, even if we don't hit our goal. Okay. So the hope is that no matter what happens, we will at some point produce some amount that we can then give out for free. Okay. And if we get enough clients, we might just be able to do it on our own anyway, but there is no uh, certainty to that effect. So we, and you know, God only knows how long that would be and how bad it's going to get before then. So time will tell. Um, but that's it for today. Uh, remember that Zorro is now streaming pretty much everywhere. It's free on Netflix and, uh, it's great and you should see it. If you have thoughts about this movie, if you just want to geek out with us about it, you can hit us up on Twitter at film stage show, become a patron and you get access to our Slack channel. That's patreon.com slash the film stage show. Uh, everything that we've talked about in terms of charity and everything, I'm sure we will tweet out like Dickens when the time comes um and then uh Dickens we don't know is tweeting these days yeah yeah he gets paid okay. by the character um 
Sounds about right. I'm sure that there's somewhere an account that's like tweeting oh, out Nicholas Nickleby sure. or some bullshit. Is that Dickens? Yep. No, don't. Yep. 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 Okay. Uh, Nicholas Nickleby's Dickens. Yep. Good. <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to just say like a Christmas carol, you know? I wanted to try to pick a deep cut. It's like uh, if you're talking about Melville, you talk about movie Barnaby starring Charlie Hunnam and Anne Hathaway, baby. Check that one out. Port, Portman the Scrivener? Is that what you're going to say, Brian? <laughs> Bartleby the Scrivener. Damn it! What did I get Portman? Portman's complaint, maybe? I don't know. Oh, yikes. Okay. Yeah. You're close, oh, my though. Brain. My I would brain. prefer not to. Um, so let's, uh, that's it for today. We, uh, what's the next thing we're talking about? We don't know yet, right? We have no idea. Yeah, like, we're, we're, we're compiling our requests and uh, figuring out orders and stuff. So we'll tweet that out when we figure it out. If you guys are interested in a roundtable too, or something like that, l- let us know. Like if there's a subject you'd want us to discuss at length, that's not a movie or just general industry stuff. I can't guarantee it would be interesting or well, in let's, any- let's come up with a better name than COVID-19. Yeah. Let's just have an entire roundtable where we <laughs> try to come up with a better name for COVID-19. You know, I'm going to go outside instead of doing that. <laughs> you will risk not social distancing just to get away from that conversation. A little um, bit. Please be aware, though, that we are not industry experts. Um, so if you're asking us to be like, hey, what do you think is going to happen now that the theatrical window is shrunk in the wake of, uh, you know, we will talk about it if that's really what you want. But we are not experts and you shouldn't listen to us. Oh, I mean, man. you shouldn't listen to anybody because nobody knows what's going to happen. This but is an yes. unprecedented situation. But no don't listen to us, especially. Yes. Yeah. I will say uh, Mark Ash, who's a wonderful film writer for Film Comment. He's actually been doing a series about how uh, directors, uh, festival directors and distributors are all handling the situation. So if you're curious about some inside knowledge from uh, people involved, uh, there are really great reads. And that's on Film Comment. Nice. All right. Don't forget that also we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. You can get a free 30-day trial of Mubi by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. they got a bunch of great movies on there. Uh, presently, they have their their end of the world series, <laughs> which I just still find to be such an awesome little like happenstance thing. Um, so check that out. Threads is apparently a devastating film. In case uh, you watch Mask of Zorro and you're like, I'm too happy now. Well, I don't know what to do with myself. MUBI.com slash filmstage for your free 30-day trial. Uh, let's tell the fine people at home where it can be found between the next time we talk to them. Let us start with our guest, Dan Mecca. Yeah, you can find me at at DJ Mecca. At, uh, <laughs> I was waiting for it on Twitter. Um, and then me and Connor O'Donnell, my buddy, we run the B-Side podcast, uh, the other film stage podcast. And like I said, got a couple of cool episodes coming up. We're going to do one with Bill soon about Sir Sharon and um kira knightley and a nice conversation with ha- brian compliment coming up so look for more of that in the future and uh you know occasional writings for the film stage when uh when needed all right bill graham uh you can find me sheltering in place on twitter at cable bfg uh you can also find me mixing it up in the slack channel uh i guess i might uh pre-order doom because i'm gonna have some time on my hands so uh maybe <laughs> Wait, I the book, actually book, dune? dune huh doom eternal no, no. 
Oh, Doom. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I am not reading Doom. I'm deep, that I'm is... deep in the Dunes. I've read the first three Dunes. I'm loving Dune. Oh, jeez. I have never that's, read Dunes. Oh, they're Dune. amazing. That's, they're that's up. thousands. They're amazing. Thousands of pages. I rec- I cannot recommend a series high enough. Wait, wait. Anyway. This is a great question, Bill. You don't like movies that are over two hours long. Is there a book length that affects you in a similar way? No, because I, I've read a lot of Stephen King and also George R. R. Martin. All books so. should be three hundred pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Go to uh, hell, Tolstoy. <laughs> yeah, I've I've definitely read some some thousand page books and like loved every minute of it. So. Um, yeah, it, it depends. But I mean, if if your book starts with a thousand pages, fuck off. Um, but it gets I guess, shorter after the first Dune. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good to know. <laughs> and then you can use it as a doorstop. <laughs> you can throw it at the zombies. <laughs> People are so furious that this disease does not cause zombies. Um, <sighs> zombie nineteen. This future is just so fucking stupid. <laughs> All right, Michael Snydell. Uh, you can find me losing my mind one tweet at a time on Twitter at at Snydell. Um, I'm also. Is, is on there Letterboxd. something going on, Mike? Is is there something going on? Uh, uh, COVID nineteen. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, you, I'm also on Letterbox. I'm starting to watch real movies. I watched. Army of Shadows uh, yesterday, and that movie is maddening and probably a masterpiece. Um, I also guested on the Seventh Row podcast, which is hosted by our occasional guest Alex Heaney. Um, we talked about uh, Unsane and the Invisible Man, and talked about the similarities and uh, the ways they approached. Um, gaslighting and various subjects and maybe had to defend the honor of the invisible man with one other people one other person while three other people told me i was wrong <laughs> um, and now finally he was on our portrait of a lady on fire episode yes and finally uh i just want to say if anybody listening would like to be a guest i am the booker I'm officially saying this on here, so please reach out to me if there's any film you want to talk about, and I mean any film. Um, yeah, we're in the we're in the what is it? The wilds now, baby. It's anarchy. Classics is wide ranging. Uh, so yeah, reach out at at Snydell. Okay, as for me, uh, you can find my stuff at brianjrowan.com. Of course, I've written for thefilmstage.com. You can check my stuff out there. My Twitter and my Instagram uh, is everything at brianjrowan. If you're interested in more of Distillery Life, uh, at Schmidt Spirits on Twitter and Instagram and schmidtspirits.com. There you will find links to the GoFundMe for the thing that we're trying to do that's good for people. And uh, yeah, I feel like that's about all. Uh, if you'd like to, since we're going classic, baby, if you want to listen to previous episodes of this uh, podcast that are not currently on your podcast feed, they are all located at thefilmstage.com. So that is all for today. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time.
it occurs to me that we went through this whole podcast and didn't once say the name James Horner. I uh, died in a plane crash because he fucking refused to not fly. Dumb idiot. <sighs> I was watching that part. final scene when they're at the canyons and they're fighting and I heard the I was like, oh, this is a Horner score. Fucking Horner. Fucking Master. Horner.